If you're a guest here today, we've been in a summer-long series entitled Breaking Free. Our theme verse for this particular series is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where the Bible declares, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In other words, Christ died on the cross to set us eternally free. That's number one. That through faith in what he's done on the cross, we can have eternal forgiveness of our sins. And there's no other way, by the way. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But the Bible also declares that whosoever will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Romans 10, 8 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, because Christ died to set us free from sin, to set us free from eternal punishment. And all we need to do is to receive that gift, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I hope that you'll do that today. Christ also died to give us life. He says, I came to give them life and give it to the fullest. During this life, not just for eternity, it's not just all about the sweet by and by, it's about now. And his desire for us is that we live lives that are characterized by intimacy with him, peace with him, joy that he can bring, and even patience and faith in times of trial and in times of difficulty. He also warns us through Paul that we should be very careful not to re-enslave ourselves to many of the behaviors and many of the patterns of our culture in this world that Jesus died to save us from, to make us free from. And so in this series, we've been breaking free from those re-enslavements of behaviors in our life that often rob us of that life that God wants us to live through Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we talked about breaking free from materialism. That's our unbiblical relationship with our money, with our financial resources, with our material possessions. Now, when Jesus was here, he made it very clear what a believer, what a Christ follower's relationship should be with our things. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He said, Don't make your life quest all about just getting as much stuff as you can possibly get. He says, Instead, Store up treasure for yourself in heaven. He says, because that's where it's going to have eternal productivity. That's where it's going to last for eternity. Because as we discussed last week, the moment we die, everything we own transfers ownership to somebody else. Only what we have done for Christ, as the song goes, only one life so soon it will last, only what's done for Christ will last. See, it's, only, it's all about him. Now, we tend to, to not obey this, and we tend to live our lives exactly opposite in so many cases because of some false conclusions we make about materialism. We think that the more things we have, the more happy we'll be. But if that were true, then it would stand to reason that those who have the most things in the world are the happiest people on the planet. But we see over and over again that they're not. They're some of the most miserable, often, people. 
We saw last week that, that, that we think that money will make us more important. The more we have, the more things we have, the more important we'll be. That's the, the kind of keep up with the Joneses attitude, but that doesn't work either. We also discussed last week that we, we falsely assume that, that the more things we have, the more secure we'll, we'll feel. But often those with more things are less secure because they're worried about losing what they have or they're worried about their wealth and, and, and all the, the problems that brings into life as far as managing it and safety for their families. In the end, we saw that materialism can never be satisfied. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever has money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with the kingdom. This is meaningless, Solomon said. It's not that we're not supposed to have any, but it says if we make the pursuit of getting more money, getting more things, our life ambition, our life purpose, we're never going to be satisfied. You'll never reach the point where you say, well, you know what? I can pull back now because it becomes an addictive behavior. But worse than that, we discovered last week, that materialism destroys. Paul, writing to his young preacher apprentice, Timothy, in his first letter to Timothy, located in the New Testament portion of our Bible, Paul declared to him in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 10, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, last week we talked about so, some starting steps in breaking free from materialism. We said that we got to set new priorities. We said that we, we need to become thankful and content with what we already have. And then we need to embrace a lifestyle where we live to give. That's where true meaning is, and that's where true joy, and that's what the Bible teaches us to do. But understanding that some folks have fallen into the trap of materialism. And, and some folks... And I have to believe that with, with who we have right now in this auditorium today, many people's lives are characterized right now by financial strongholds. Finances are so upside down that there is no joy, there is no, no, no peace, that there's only stress and emotional pain and fear because Finances are so out of control. Why? Because we have fallen into that trap that Paul warned about. And we've spent and we spent and we charged and we charged and we've, and now all of that has a death grip on us. So today, we want to talk about, and we want to talk especially to those who may be here today who find themselves living in the horror in the pain of financial strongholds. What do we do? Well, God has given us some direction. And there is hope. We don't have to live in that pain. We can start a journey out of it today. So what are we going to do? Well, first thing we've got to do is wise up. We've got to wise up. We've got to understand, this isn't working for me. This lifestyle of, that I've been living just isn't working. It is not giving me what I hoped it would give me. It's not making me more happy. It's not making me more important. And it's certainly not making me feel more secure. Again, Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
And some of us can identify with that verse today. Maybe you haven't yet wandered from the faith, but maybe you've wandered from being active in the faith because you're having to work so hard and you're so consumed with with this financial stronghold in your life that you are really not involved in God's work at all. Maybe you're, you're, you're just willing to, are ready about to even to walk away from the faith, thinking somehow God has abandoned you, but in reality, we have created our own mess. Pierced with griefs, relational griefs, emotional grief, physical grief, because financial strongholds tear down our health, emotionally, relationally, and even spiritually. Now, how do you know if... You are in danger of being consumed by a financial stronghold. Well, there's some deadly symptoms. There's some signs that give us the idea that our finances are out of control. This area of our life is, in, is a dangerous area of our life. Like, like, what are some of the signs? Well, are your finances causing conflict in your relationships? Do you know that the number one cause of divorce among couples is finances? Fighting about the money? where it's going, where it went, who's controlling it, all that. It's the number one reason for divorce is finances that are out of control. And so are your finances causing relational problems, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe in your extended family, maybe with your friends, maybe at work? Are you placing normal daily expenditures on credit cards? Are you having to buy your groceries with a credit card? Now, I realize that some of us have a strategy, and, and we'll use like a, a credit card that gets points for travel and points for, for, for all that kind of thing. And, but every month, we satisfy that bill. It's not growing every month. We, we just charge everything out, get the points. At the end of the month, pay all those charges off. That, that's, that's okay. That's not financial. I'm talking about where we're having to put daily expenses on credit cards because we don't have any cash left, and we don't have any, any way to pay it any other way. Do you put off paying a bill from one month to another? Is this the, you know, Rob Peter to pay Paul principle? Well, this month I'm going to pay my Visa bill and my Sears bill, and, 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 and next month I'm, I'm going to hit, hit my, 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 my car loan, and next month I'm going to hit this bill or that bill. And what we're doing is we're, we're not satisfying our debts every month. We're having to alternate months and say, well, I can keep my creditors off me for a couple months if I make a payment this month, and then I can let it slide for a few months, and then we get into that routine, see? Do you take cash advance on a credit card to pay other bills? Wow, how dangerous that is. Why? Because if you take a cash advance on a credit card, you're always going to have a higher interest rate than you do on just buying on a credit card. Did you know that? It's always higher. Are you aware of how much you owe? So many people who are, who are in, 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 in a financial stronghold don't even know how much they owe. Maybe it's denial. Maybe it's kind of trying to block out the pain. But do you know how much you really owe? Are you frequently paying minimum payments, over-limit fees, or late fees on your credit cards or on your, your car loans or your mortgage? Are you beginning to entertain thoughts of dishonesty? Well, I just won't pay that. I'll walk away from it. I'll, I'll, I'll just let them come and repossess the car. Uh, do you find it difficult or impossible to tithe or to give offerings to the Lord? You know, I think this is one of the number one reasons that people don't give to the Lord, that don't tithe. 
Because they're so overextended financially. So many creditors are calling already that they just don't feel like they have anything to give to the Lord. It's not that they're hard-hearted. I mean, really, is there really anyone here who would really say to the Lord, God, I'm not giving you a thing. I'm not giving you any offer. I'm not giving you anything. I'm not returning any of the blessings you blessed me with you. No, none of us are that hard-hearted. If you are, schedule a counseling appointment with me. We need to do some thick praying. But the reason is, is because we're out of control. We're overextended. We are enslaved to our finances. First thing we got to do is we got to wise up. We got to stop the pain. We got to say, this isn't working. I'm not any happier. I'm not more important. And I'm certainly not more secure. Now, to stop the pain, what do we need to do? We need to change what we're doing now. Remember the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing the same way, expecting a different result. Well, if you keep doing the same thing financially the same way, it's not going to change. You're not going to break free of it. You're going to just go, go deeper and deeper into enslavement. So what are some things that we can do to start changing this, to break free? Number one, and it's not an optional step. If this is your life situation, you've got to create, you've got to build a budget. We slide into huge debt. No one here who right now, whose life is characterized by a financial stronghold, who is dealing with that, that emotional, that physical, that spiritual pain, intended to get there. No one said, you know what, I'll just charge up all my credit cards and get a couple bank loans, you know, auto things, and get second mortgages on my house and all this kind of stuff and, and until I just can't possibly ever pay it back again. No one ever does that. What do we do? We slide in, don't we? We'll say, hey, man, I, I'd really like to have that. We're out shopping one day, and something catches our eyes, and it's on sale. <laughs> I can get it for less money. I don't have enough cash. I don't have my checkbook. But I'll just put it on my credit card, and then at the end of the month, I'll pay it off. But the end of the month comes, and something else came up, and we had to use the money we were going to pay it off with for something else. Well, I'll get it next month. But next month, something comes up, and you saw another sale, and what happens? We slide into this huge debt. And before we know it, we wake up and we go, what in the world happened? The problem is we slide into debt, but we have to dig our way out. And, and that's what you need to understand, that it was your breaking free from this financial stronghold in your life. Understand that it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. You've got to dig your way out, but you have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy and an important part of that strategy is having a budget and living by that budget. Look what Scripture says in the book of wisdom, Proverbs, the Old Testament. Filled with wisdom. You want to become a wiser man, a wiser woman, read the book of Proverbs frequently. It's filled with godly wisdom. In, in chapter 24, verse 3 and 4, it says, by, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. In other words, a house who is financially stable and even a house that is characterized by having some extra things. See, God's not against that as long as it's not put in front of him. And as long as it's not taking you into enslavement. But he says, here, here a house that has that, that is financially stable, and that even has some nice extras, 
is a house that has been built by wisdom. It's a house that's followed a plan. It just didn't happen, and it's not just going to happen. And one of the things that it's characterized by is careful budgeting of the money. Now, what will a budget do for you? It lets you control your money instead of your money controlling you. What does it do for you? It will tell you if you're living within your means. It reveals where you're spending too much. It'll show where where you're really out of control. Maybe it's going out to eat too much. Maybe it's two pizzas. Maybe it's too many on-demand movies. But you'll see where you're spending your money, and you'll say, you know, man, I'm spending a whole lot of money on Taco Bell. It'll help your entire family focus on financial goals, especially your marriage. You get together, and you build a budget together, and you agree to live with that budget together, and you keep each other informed, and you watch where you're spending your money together. You know what that does? That starts eliminating all those fights because now the playing field is fair. You've both agreed on it, and you're both informed. You know where it's going. You know what's happening to it. You have a common goal of breaking free from that financial stronghold. Now you're working together. Your kids are old enough. You can even bring them in on the plan and say, look, kids, here's where we're at, and we've got to work together as a family. Will improve your relationships by wisdom. See, you have to have a strategy. It's not just going to happen. Just overnight, you know, things aren't going to just change. You're not probably going to get a windfall of cash. You have to have a strategy, and you have to start digging out. And a budget will help you more than you can believe. If you don't know how to establish and create a budget, there's plenty of, uh, of financial help out there in the world today. Power down your debt. Probably the financial stronghold in your life is excessive debt, excessive credit card debt, maybe a combination of auto loans and mortgages and second mortgages and credit cards. You've got to power your debt down. Romans 13.7 reminds us that as believers that we need to pay our debts. It says, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. In other words, if you owe taxes to the government, pay your taxes. The Bible doesn't say we should stand up and resist the government. We need to pay our taxes. And it says, if you owe revenue, in other words, if you have loans out, if you owe people money, if you owe owe Visa, if you owe MasterCard, if you owe American Express, if you owe Sears, if you owe Pennies, if you owe Home Depot, whatever it is, pay your bills. Our lives should not be characterized by defaulting on our agreements. But we need to be very careful to live not in debt all the time. Think about this. Here's what happens. Here's how we get in these strongholds. Let's say that you have a Visa card with $8,400 credit on it, with, with, with a debt on it. If you pay a 2% payment a month, that's $168 at an APR of 15%, it will cost, it will take you 30 years to pay that balance off. And you will have accrued about $13,000 in interest payments alone. You know what that means? That means if you charge, if you bought $8,400 worth of stuff and you followed this formula, you would end up paying $21,400 for that $8,400 worth of merchandise. See, that's why everyone wants to give you a credit card, and you go, oh, you've been pre-approved, and you go, man, how can I be a pre-approved? I'm in trouble here. 
Oh, they'll just keep giving you the credit cards because that's where they make their money in you not paying them off. Power down your debts. How do you do that? Well, Dave Ramsey, who is a financial expert, and he tells us that, that personal finance is about 20% head knowledge, knowing what to do, and 80% the discipline to do it. 80%, the discipline to build a budget, the discipline to power down your debts. Here's what you do. List all your debts. Then you're going to know what, what you really owe because a lot of us in those kind of situations don't even realize how much we owe. We block it out. Well, you're, you're never going to get out of it. You're never going to break free with your head in the sand. You've got to just own up to it. And, and all of us have been there. Trust me, I have been there in my financial life. I'm not there now, praise the Lord, because I've done what I'm teaching you to do today, and I'm not there, but I had to dig myself out of it. Target the smallest balance first. Pay as much as you can possibly pay on that. The other ones, pay the minimum on. Take the smallest amount and power it down. Put everything you can towards it until you pay it off. Once you pay that one off, then take the next smallest debt. Take what you were paying on that first one that you've now paid off, combine it with, with the, the minimum payment and as much as you can, and just power down that second smallest debt. When you get that paid off, then what do you do? Then you take on the third smallest debt. Now your remaining smallest debt. And you just keep repeating that process until you've powered down your payments, until you've paid off your debt. Now, it, you would think, well, no, why, why would I want to go with the smallest? Let me go with the biggest one. Let me get the biggest one out of the way first. Well, that's not smart. That's not wise. Because you'll end up getting frustrated and discouraged, and you'll give up. See, Dave Ramsey, he says, you got to have some, some quick wins. you got to say, wow, I got that one done. That one's no longer a problem anymore. That, that one's done. Burn the card. Put it in the safe whatever. Now, now I'm getting here. And you see this short-term progress, and that motivates you. It pumps you up, and it allows you to see progress. And that will keep you in the game. That will keep you disciplined to pay off these debts. Another thing is save and invest. Now, the younger you are here today, the more important this point is for you. Don't turn me off. This is important. Look what the Bible says again, that book of wisdom, Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away. We know that, don't we? But look what it says. But he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. There's the key. He who gathers money little by little. Now, none of us are ever in a position, unless God has really blessed us, and he has some people, and maybe that's you, and God bless you if he has, but probably none of us are ever in a place where we can just invest hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars every month into investments because we're, we're, we're living on, on what we make. But, but we need to have the discipline little by little. See, it's the idea of compound interest. Take a couple scenarios. Amy, who's 22 years old, starts saving $300 a month because she's single and she's working in, in an account that yields 10% growth. At 28 now, after six years of paying $300 a month, she decides she's now married and she now has a child and she, she doesn't want to be a working mom. She wants to stay home. So she decides to stay home. Now get this. Amy kicked in $21,600 of her own money. 
$300 a month for six years. If she doesn't put another penny into that account and just lets it ride, by the time she's 65 years old, that will have grown to $1 million. Now, let's take Jason, who waits nine years. Instead of 22, he's going to be 31. He's Just nine years, that's all. He's delayed it. He would need to contribute the same 300 per month for the next 34 years to have it mature to a million dollars at age 65. You see the difference? Amy's kicked in $21,600 of her own money over six years. Jason would have to kick in $126,000 of his own money over 34 years. See how that little by little it grows? And the earlier we get it, the earlier that money starts compounding. Little by little. Finally, get God working with you. Now, now remember, all this stuff I'm telling you now, this isn't going to instantly take care of the problem. Unfortunately, this is one of those areas of life that, again, we slide into, we've got to dig our way out of. But if you follow these, this formula, you will begin to see success. If you're really, really out of control, maybe you need to see a credit counselor. But get God working with you. <clears throat> Proverbs, again, chapter 3, verse 9, says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. Now, this is God's ideal, that we honor him with our wealth. Why? Because it's really his. He gives it to us to manage for him. Don't ever lose sight of that. You say, well, no, I, 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 I worked hard in college, and so I was able to get a good job. Well, who gave you the means to go to college? Who, who provided you with the intelligence to be able to learn your field? Well, I work hard, and I, I, I'm at work, you know, I, I work a lot. Well, who gave you the health to be able to work? Who gave you the job opportunity? It's all God's. And what God does is he gives us a portion of what he has to manage for him. We are all stewards of what we have. And so we need to honor the Lord with that. And it says we need to honor him with our first fruits. The problem is we get in these financial strongholds, either we're not honoring him at all, we're not doing anything for him, or normally what we're doing is we're giving him our spare change. Whatever's left over, whatever we feel a little guilty, so I'll kick in a buck. Remember, I think it maybe was, maybe it was two months ago, if you've been around here for a while, we looked at the story of Haggai, the prophet Haggai, in the Old Testament. And let, let, let me reiterate the story for you because it's been a while. <clears throat> Judah, the southern kingdoms of Israel, ha, had been rebelling against God, and, and finally God brought judgment in the form of Babylon coming and conquering them. When Babylon came, came Nebuchadnezzar, he took off the, the royal people and, and all the upper-class citizens of, of Jerusalem, and he put them in exile in Babylon. Prophet Jeremiah prophesied that all this was going to happen. But he also prophesied that after 70 years of exile, that God was going to bring the people back to their land. Well, 70 years had passed. Nebuchadnezzar died, and now uh, Babylon was overthrown by the Persians, and, and King Cyrus is on the throne now. And God moves the heart of King Cyrus to allow a remnant of the people who were exiles, the Jewish people, to go back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the temple. He takes credit for it. God has moved me to build a temple for him. Well, God was just working his plan through, 
through Cyrus. And not only did he send these people back, but he financed the project. And he allowed them to take many of the, of the worship elements that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from the original temple before he destroyed it in Jerusalem. And so they go back, completely funded project. Now Haggai is a prophet who reveals some stinking thinking in this remnant that goes back. See, they begin to misuse and not honor the Lord with their wealth. And kind of in, in a sarcastic statement, Haggai, God says to Haggai, he says, tell the people this. Is it not time for my temple to be rebuilt? He, he said, instead, you're building your paneled houses. And the gist of it is this, that instead of going back and doing what God told them to do, they went back and they began to use the financial resources that God had provided to rebuild the temple to build their own houses. Said paneled houses. So apparently they were building some fairly nice places. And probably the idea was, hey, we're back here first. Let's get the choice ground. Let's, let's build our houses. Let's have it all set so when the rest of the people come back, we're already established. And so God then said, now, he said, he said this. He says, now think about your ways. Give careful thought to what you're doing right now. And then God reminds them that, that although they're planting crops, they're not having good harvests. And, and, and although the, 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 they're, they're free, they, they don't have enough clothes to wear, and they don't have enough oil for their lamps, and, and, and their life just, they're not more happy, they're not more important, and they're not more secure. Why? Because they are pursuing their own desires over doing what God had called them to do. And so here's what God says, if you recall. What did God say? He said, so I blew it all away. Everything you had, you put into a purse that seemed like I have a hole in it. You never had enough. It just, you put it in and it would go out and you didn't know where it went. And he said, where it went is I blew it away. Why? Because you were putting that before me. Well, how do we get God working with us? Because that's the same thing a lot of times we've done. How do we get him working with us? Well, be content again. Talked about that last week, Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives, your lives free from the love of money and be content with you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In other words, God said this. God said, listen, I know what you need. I know what you can handle. I'm not going to turn my back on you. So be content. You have already more than, than, than you need. Trust God. Being content is part of trusting God. We need to trust them. He says, command those, 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Boy, we know that, don't we? If we're radically in debt or if we had all these great big stock portfolios and, and the, the, one of these recessions hit us and we lost so much of it just overnight. See, it's uncertain. It's, not, it's here today and believe me, it can be gone there tomorrow even if we're responsible. But it says, put their hope, put their trust in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Trust me. And what does that trust look like? That means that we honor the Lord with our wealth. We put him first. We give him our first fruits. That's what he's challenging the nation of Israel to return to doing in Malachi chapter 3. He says, bring the whole tithe. Don't bring me your spare change. Bring the whole tithe, 10% into my storehouse so there may be food in my house. That's the purpose. God's not just being arrogant. He's not being commanding. He's just saying, bring it into my house so that the work of God can go on. And he says, then test me in this. He says, and see what I'll do. Well, that challenge is still there for you and me today. 
We need to trust him, though. Then we need to be charitable. 1 John 3, 17 and 18, if anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. God says, take care. Remember Matthew 25 again? When I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was naked, when I was sick, when I was in prison. See, God's heart is moved to help us, and we get God working with us when we do it God's way, and we live life God's way, and when we live by his directives. Now, maybe you're here today, and you need to break free from this financial stronghold you're living in. Well, remember, although you might have slid into it, you actually slid into it over a period of time. It didn't happen in one day. And remember this, you're not going to change it in one day. But if you use these biblical principles, inch by inch, foot by foot, you will start digging yourself out of that. And God will bless you if you do it his way. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for my beloved brothers and sisters here today. And God, I pray especially for those that this message resonated with. Those who find themselves right now enslaved to some kind of financial stronghold. And Lord, they may not have even caused it through through bad decisions or through carelessness. Sometimes life can just really hit us with overwhelming medical bills that we never planned on or, or whatever. But no matter what the, the reason were there, your scriptural guidelines remain the same. And God, I pray, I pray, I pray for them. Because God, I remember when it was stalling me. I remember when we were enslaved by financial struggles. And I remember how painful it was and, and sometimes how hopeless it seemed. But yet, Father, you have taught us that you will help us and you, as you did us if we do our part. And so, God, I pray that today's message will not be one that fills people with guilt, but with hope. Lord, help us to wise up Help us understand that what's going on right now is not healthy and it's not good, it's not, it's not enjoyable. So then help us to, to build a budget so that we know where our money's going and so that we can start managing it. Lord, help us to, to somehow begin to invest little by little. Lord, help us to be people characterized by charity, trust in you. Help us this day. Fill us with a new hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, you might say, now, nah, nah, why would God do that? How do I know God would do that for me? Well, look at it this way. If Jesus Christ was willing to die on the cross for our sins, if he cared about us that much to give his own life, to shed his own blood, gee, Maybe he would help me through my financial struggles. Of course he would. This morning we're going to receive communion. And as we receive it this morning, let's receive it in this spirit. The spirit of believing and trusting that God 
loves us so much that there's nothing in life that he won't help us through. As we receive the elements, take a cracker first, put it on your lap, then take a cup, then pass the tray to your neighbor. Let's hold them until all have received and we'll partake of it together. Now, if you're a believer here today, I want to remind you that Scripture tells us that we need to take an evaluation of our life before we receive communion. And if there's any unconfessed sin, then we need to confess that sin. We need to bring it before the Lord and, and acknowledge it and to ask his forgiveness. And 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But maybe you're here today and you have a greater debt than just finances because your debt is your sinfulness. And you're still carrying the full debt on you. And if you were to die today, you would be accountable for that debt before God. Now here's the good news. That even though we dug our own hole, in that we willingly have disobeyed God in our lives. God has provided not just a plan of escape, he has provided a gift of escape. And that gift is Jesus Christ dying on the cross. God could have made us dig our way out of it. He could have said, you show me a change. You show me some new discipline. You show me some new devotion. And then we'll talk about whether or not I'm going to forgive you for eternity. And he would have been perfectly justified doing that. But what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, that's the good news this morning. It's a gift. And all you need to do to receive this forgiveness all you need to do to receive the promise of eternal life is receive the gift, and the gift is Jesus Christ. And we receive that gift through faith in his sacrifice for us, in his blood shed. If you've never trusted him as your Savior, wouldn't you do it right now? Would you just pray, God, I really do love you. And God, I really confess to you that I've not lived the life that I know I, I should have always lived. And God, I am living with the full penalty of my sins right now because I've never allowed Jesus Christ to pay that sin debt. But today, I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. God, I believe Jesus was your son. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And I believe that you have given him alone the authority to forgive my sin. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you to do that in my life right now. Jesus, forgive my sin. I confess it before you. Pay my sin debt with your sacrifice on the cross. Adopt me into the family of God. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. 1 John 5.13 declares this, These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Why? Because of how good you are? No. Why? Because you came to Florida Bible Church? No. Why? Because Jesus died for you.